0: Alright, well, once again, happy Mother's Day, and uh, we've got a couple of things I want to go over, and um, let's see here, yeah, let me get to the scripture we'll be at, we'll be there in just a little bit, we must be starting to study into it. Um, as Kim mentioned, you know, Mother's Day is, uh, it's a great day, honestly, I, I I find it exciting, I know I'm going to cover a few things that, you know, help us to see and remind us that, you know, sometimes we individually can live in a kind of a small bubble, right? I mean, your world's a certain way and, and maybe very painful, so you work through that painful part. Or, you know, right near you could be somebody whose world's not as painful in this season, and so sort of quite a bit different. And, uh, you know, w- what we do know, though, in, in the variety and the, the variation, um, there, there has been a, a concentrated an effort Against the family as we know it. Um, That's nothing new. It seems new to us because you live now. Deep thought. But this is the age you live in. And you're seeing things unfold that are kind of disturbing. There's been an effort to divide the family since the time of creation. It's It's a spiritual reality. It's a part of the battle. Mankind uniquely created in God's image and likeness. The very adversary of our souls, the one, the, the one who hates God, who rebelled against God first, Satan, Lucifer, whichever name you want to reference and go by the devil, you know he has a he has a, an agenda, an intention to destroy everything that looks like God or is in a sense related to God. We know the fall of man revealed a strategy of Satan to divide, conquer, and destroy the family unit. Can we agree on that? Because here in the deception in the garden, where God created this environment for for mankind to live, but he created it so beautifully and so uniquely, uh, and yet with a challenge because we have the free will, the capacity to follow his instruction or not follow his instruction. And right there in the very Garden of Eden, the fall of man took place when mankind disobeyed God and got evicted functionally. And so now outside of the garden, they're now figuring out how to do life. God's still with them. God's still faithful. But we know what happened very quickly after leaving the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve suffered when their son Cain killed his younger brother Abel. And the battle for the family has intensified in every generation since then. I don't know if we've thought, many of us, I don't, you know, I know for years I didn't really process the experiential side of this reality, this truth. That outside of the garden, Adam and Eve are dealing not only with the consequences of their decisions, but now they're dealing with the loss of two kids, two boys. Because when Cain killed Abel, it created quite a conflict, of course. So now you have Eve functionally crying herself to sleep, processing the reality of what she's going through. Well, God is faithful. We see how he continued to, to lead them. Now, I mentioned that only because a place of, of origin, if you would. Mothers have a clear place in God's design for humanity. Agreed? It's pretty. I, I know we live in a time, and you all sitting down, so we'll be okay with this. But, you know, I'm an equal opportunity offender. And I mean I don't I willing really not offend the whole crew by the time I'm done today. But the point is, is like we've got to recognize God's design and our culture, our globally, not just locally, globally, has shifted. And and if you don't see this shift, you have to see it. We've shifted from a a, a, a balance of reasoning that that considered objective reality and subjective observation. So the, the black and white of the facts and the reality of feeling and experience. Well, what's happened where it various times it's been more balanced, now it's not. Now it's imbalanced in regards to feeling-based society, feeling-based conclusions, feeling-based support, if you would. And we live in a time when it, it, we're being told we can be all these things that we can't be. We're told we can do all these things that literally are not beneficial or we can't really do them mothers are uniquely and exclusively able to carry a child from conception to the child's moving out which is what we call birth they literally eat themselves out of house and house and home get evicted it's called birth mothers are the only ones that can deliver that child can provide that You're talking of hundreds and hundreds of billions of people since the Garden of Eden. Can we agree probably accurately? Every single one of them have been born from a woman. Not a single one has been born from a man. Now, why do I have to say something so obvious? Because we live in a society that has shifted to feeling base. And it's and somewhat of a perception that if you're nice, you're more accepting and you're tolerant and you bring in whatever someone wants to believe as long as they feel okay about it. And actually, I think it's a very mean way to do life. Because you mislead people, you deceive people, you imply that you care when you don't convey truth. Do you see what I'm saying? And that's where you and I live. This is the world we're in. Parental influence shapes a personality... It forms character. It instills values. And across the world, a mother's presence and love awakens hope, calms hearts, and comforts the hurting. Now we can say, well, you know, that's true for dads too. <laughs> Are you serious? I mean, let's just be a realist. I know for a fact dads want to bring hope they want to calm hearts. They want to comfort the hurting. But guys, I don't care how metro you think you are, you're just not as good as mom at it, okay? Mom is uniquely equipped with an understanding and a sense and just in a greater way. Exactly. That's my point. <laughs> to, to to bring hope, to to calm a heart, to comfort the hurting. And I'm not saying, I'm not in any way putting down men, but let's just be honest. Mom, you know, I just don't think it's that complicated. I didn't birth the child. I didn't talk to it for nine months, you know what I mean? It's like, I didn't, you know, I I remember when our kids were real little, and I just like, whoo, it's mom, you know? I just, and and I wanted to, and and I, I learned to embrace them, and you don't feel like you're gonna crunch them when you cuddle them, or whatever, and then they get bigger and bigger. But it wasn't until they're totally mobile, and cruising, and and you can walk them by the finger. That's where, as a dad, I felt really knit to them, like I could relate to them. And mom is the one that really would nurture them through that time. It's it's up to God's design. And so I want to just say that, you know, let's not get robbed or ripped off by what we know God has designed. Mother's Day is a time to remember and thank moms. You know, um, it's also a time for empathy, because it's a time... When, you know, many women have a difficult time with Mother's Day. Understandably. They've lost children. Uh, Many have not had children but longed for having children. Uh, Many have been hurt by children. And so it's not an easy, you know, flowers and coloring pages and cupcakes and happiness. It's really difficult. That's what I'm talking about. We live in different bubbles, so to speak. But we want to have a greater understanding. So I do want to pray right now. With that broader understanding. So, will you, um, you stand up and we will join together in prayer as we pray through just this awareness of some things in our culture, but really more of what people are going through even today? Will you join me? God, as we would um, really direct our attention by way of conversation, Lord, uh, conversing, our hearts opened to you and looking to you and what we call what you've established as prayer. That we would come before you, Lord, and seek your intervention, your blessing, your provision, Lord God. We pray for those who have followed your design, God. And they've married and and they long for a child. But for unknown reasons that are hard to process, you have not opened the womb. And I pray for those women who long to have that child, to long to be the mom. You've even given them that desire to be. May they have patience as they seek you. May they have greater faith to trust you. May they have a deeper awareness of your faithfulness at this time, God. Only you can comfort their heart. Only you can answer their questions. Only you can calm them, Lord. And may you just do that special work in their lives, Lord God. And Lord, as we would consider the makeup of our culture and even our gathering and those who listen online, we lift up to you also those who have lost a child Lord, various ages and various situations surrounding it, but the grief continues and the difficulties continue. And as they try to find relief to the grief, as they try to find some comfort, Lord, it just, it just seems to escape them. God, we're asking for you, the living God, the God of all hope, to bring hope to them, to bring calmness to them, to bring truth in such a way that they would know your comfort and know your peace. Things that we long to be able to bring to them, but we can't, God. We don't possess them in the capacity and manner by which you do. And so we'd ask for you to comfort those who are hurting and grieving, God. Likewise, Lord, we know there's many in our gathering, many in this world today, who have a strained relationship with their children. They've been canceled or closed off, kicked out, so to speak. And I just pray, I know there's moms, even dads that are struggling with that and and trying to keep their eyes on you as they work through, as they cry themselves to sleep at night, as they wonder what they've done wrong. But we pray for reconciliation according to your design, according to your love, according to your wisdom. We pray, God, that there would be a powerful work taking place, that you would restore relationships, that you would bring to awareness the love for one another, Lord. Oh, God, you're so good. We're looking to you to do that sweet and beautiful work, Lord Jesus. Lord, today we also stand before you knowing that some, even in the last year, have lost their mom. Some in years past, and they still experience that loneliness. They still miss that opportunity to make a phone call to have conversation, to hear words of encouragement and love and hope. And so we pray for your comfort there as well, Lord God, that you would bring comfort to those who are longing for and and missing that that relationship they had, Lord God. Lord, we know also there's many, many who are experiencing your joy, who are experiencing your touch who are able to hold their children, who are able to provide love and comfort and nurturing. And we praise you, God. May they continue to be encouraged by your faithfulness as they try to figure out how to to raise your children for your glory, Lord. Bless them and continue to soften their hearts, continue to encourage them, continue to strengthen these wonderful women. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness, Lord. God, we pray that your love would be known in this world would be manifested in such a manner that it would be evident God, that our variances and differences and seasons and subcultures and bubbles and all this that we live within that your love would penetrate and permeate all these particular relationships that you would be glorified God we thank you and we ask this in your name Jesus Amen. Amen. All right. Well, if you'd like to have a seat, I will continue on the process of offending people. It's not my goal. If, if, if I offend you because of the, me- the, way- the method, I apologize. If the message is what torques t- tor- tor- your heart, um, think about why it might do that. Mother's Day. It seems that every special day, what we maybe call holidays, is under attack. I was thinking through Memorial Day, Labor Day, Thanksgiving. People are wound up about Thanksgiving like it's some white supremacist thing. Everything is just under attack, agreed? Corporations, it started a couple years ago, it continues. Like Kroger Grocery, DoorDash, Levi's, K Jewelers, many others. Send out an email. They sent out trigger warnings. Trigger warnings prior to Mother's Day. Because what they presented to you and I, and whoever would have received their email, they, they presented that they were concerned about those who find Mother's Day difficult. And so guise,d as concern over uh, Mother's Day difficulty, they were part of taking it one step Further, to diminishing the importance of motherhood. Because, you know, I I try not to be drawn into a position or, you know, somebody else's collective opinion or whatever. But some things you can observe. Can we agree? You just kind of observe and you listen. Well, this seems like these corporations are are more considerate. Because, you know, they know they're going to flood their recipients with their marketing, with their promotion, and they admit, we're going to flood you on Mother's Day, so we're letting you know ahead of time that we're going to do that, and we know it may be difficult to you, so you have the opportunity to, to, to opt out of our emails. Okay, let me, I'm just thinking here. We're going to trigger you with all these emails, and we're so kind that we're going to trigger you with another email before you get these email. Is that illogical or What? because we know this may be difficult for you, so we're going to send you a notice, which, oh, that won't be difficult? Do you see what I'm saying? I mean, I don't understand the way of thinking in this world today, because I don't believe it has anything to do with kindness or compassion. I believe it's profitability and other factors that are driving it. Ultimately, we do know that there is a, a, a move, a, a shift, um, because you and I are being told... And and this isn't new to you. It may be phrased in a way that may be a little different, but you know, government schools and teachers' unions know more about how to teach children than mothers do. And if you don't believe me, just ask them, because they'll inform you. And honestly, that's this is. I'm not breaking out any news. This has actually been presented and even stated and promoted in America today. Under the current administration, women are especially under covert attack now that I've separated the group into one group or another, the current administration, they let, let me balance out my statement. Republicans can screw up a steel ball with a Kleenex just as well. Maybe you've never heard that, but just think about it. Why do I say that? Well, Dan, why are you trying to offend everybody? No, I just have looked. The reality is the silence and the impotence of conservatives in our political system is disgusting. It is not making sense. It is not lining up with what they say they believe. And they're quick to point the finger to the other party. It's their fault. But when you were in office, you didn't do diddly squat, which I don't know what diddly squat is. I should research that before I say it. You get it. You didn't do anything either. Now that I've got everybody ire up, we don't put our trust in the political system. Agreed. We really don't. And we want to be honest. I don't want to be drawn into a particular campaign or camp and start defending or speaking about something. You know, this. let me go back to my point. Women are especially under covert attack. Can I support that statement? I think I can. Women now have to share bathrooms with men. Is that not true? You ladies, you used to have one where you didn't have a messy toilet seat. Now you got to deal with it because of this quote, quote, support. Selfish adult boys posing as men have stolen women's sports. They pose as women to fulfill their selfish fantasies. It, it, this is, it's just not right. I, I mean, this is, I don't I didn't break any news to you this morning. Anything at all yet. These men who do this, they're 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 toddlers who have aged out of the nursery but have a childish, selfish mentality claiming that God made them wrong. That's my issue. They claim that God made them wrong, so therefore they're going to change, which you can't change. You can change your expression, but you can't change your makeup. And and it's like, it's not just America. This is uh, just a Western Civ thing, a little bit. It's the current global attitude is increasingly against family and women while promoting a greater understanding and a greater equality. But sometimes it's really important to listen to what's said and see where it's going. If I'm going down the road and it says Twin Falls, and I keep going down that road, and I go, wow, I got to Twin Falls. Okay, I knew where it was going. But if I'm going down the road going, all right, I'm going to Boise. But I go down the road a ways and it says, Hagerman. I'm like, I don't remember seeing that on the map to Boise. Don't worry about it. It's all good. Where is it taking you? Where are these things taking you? What are they saying? What's being, where are we going? And I say this not to like discourage you on Mother's Day, obviously. <laughs> I want to set the premise and the foundation that we need to see how things are, not how people say they are. And this is what you're dealing with. This is where we are. but here's the thing to remember: two words, six letters but God. See, the reality is God is aware of the ways of humanity. We're even told in in an Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes that there's nothing new under the sun, and it really isn't anything new. What you and I are dealing with is new to us because we find it so offensive going downhill so fast, but it's consistent with world empires. Whether it's the British Empire of some years ago, a couple generations ago, the Greco-Roman Empire, and you can just work your way back. Human-run systems that try to take over the world, take everything downhill, morally and ethically, and quite honestly, even by way of power. And so, does God not know this? Well, of course he knows. More than just aware... He's provided a solution for selfishness, for pride, for every expression of sin. I say that because, you know, we may be aware and somebody may do something that we find particularly sinful, but you have your own sin. You have the own, your own thing that you tolerate that says okay, but according to the Word of God, it's not okay. And because they have a different expression, you're particularly offended by theirs, but you're okay with yours. You see what I'm saying? I think sometimes we, we tend to separate so much so we don't, people don't notice what we have in our own heart. But get this. God in his love and grace and mercy has provided forgiveness and new life through Jesus who is the Christ. God has provided himself as a payment for our horrible selfishness. He became sin to pay our debt for sin. He didn't sin, but he paid the debt of a sinner. Jesus, miraculously conceived, born of a virgin named Mary. He lived a sinless life and then freely gave his life as a payment for our sins. Mary, we'll look at today. Mary's the young woman, teenager actually, who was to carry in her womb the God-man. Fully God and fully man, we know as Jesus. Jesus. Mary is the most well-known mom in all of history. Her name is the most popular girl's name ever. What can we learn from this beautiful young woman? See, there are glimpses of godliness embedded in the Gospels that are revealed through the window of Mary's life in words. And Mary, I believe, there's two people in history, I think the two that have been the most maligned the most misunderstood and the most misrepresented are Jesus and Mary. Mary has been wrongfully elevated to a point of idolatry among religious organizations that claim that she's way up here. And you're going to see from our study today, if she was to come back, she'd go to those organizations and say, shut up. You misrepresent me. That, you know, she would totally redirect the attention to her son. Instead, there's this odd elevation. And when there's not an odd elevation to idolatry, there seems to be a strange silence where, where it's like almost people don't want to talk about her because people will perceive that you're doing this. It's like, oh, wait a minute. Let's just look to the Word. Let's go to Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46. And we have at this time Mary has had the angel appear to her, God has told her that he has chosen her, really to be the one to bear the Messiah, to give birth to the Messiah, a dream, a goal, a prayer for almost every young Jewish woman, that they could be that one. It was a, because it was so rich in the history and, and revealed through the truth, what we would know as the Old Testament. Well, they had that's what they had, and it was revealed even in Genesis 3 about the one to come. So every young you know, maiden, young woman, wow, that would be so cool. It's kind of like an aspiration, a dream, a, a desire, a great thing. Well, Mary is told, You're the one. She's elated, quite shocked, quite honestly. And she goes to see her relative known as Elizabeth. Elizabeth, her, her husband, Zacharias, was serving in the priestly ministry. But Elizabeth is also with child. She was beyond her childbearing years, and God provided a child to her, known as John the Baptist. Well, Mary goes to visit Elizabeth while Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist, and when Mary gets there, she's really encouraged. She's she's really you know kind of built up, if you would, by Elizabeth in very truthful things. That's the earlier portion of chapter one, and now we have Mary's reply out of chapter 1, verse, beginning in verse 46. I'd like to read that, and then we'll talk about what we can see, what truths we can apply in our own lives for every one of us. It's not a gender issue. It's just a, it's just a following Christ issue. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Let's let's go back now up to verse 46. And like I said, my goal, my desire is that we would pull out of this. As we've unveiled this, we'd pull out of it application for our own lives. There's things that we see in Mary's expression that really should be a part of our expression in a unique and individual way. We see in verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord. Uh, it, it really is speaking there of, uh, I, in my innermost being, in my expression of life, I declare his greatness. Now, now, now catch the timing of this. This I think is very important. Yes, she's had an amazing encounter with the angel. Yes, she's had truth brought to her. She has not delivered the child. She has not seen him as a, as a young man. She, you see what I'm saying? There's a lot to come. There's a lot of unknown when you're over here. But what is she saying even before that? My soul magnifies the Lord. See, her relationship with with God wasn't based on the circumstances of life. There was a realization that this life is life. And she's pretty excited because this is a new season. I'm pretty sure a month or two previously, she was working through life's challenges and difficulties. She was poor. She was not of nobility. She's a person as a teenager who's going to face a lot of challenges in life. And yet we see right from the very start, my soul declares his greatness. I hope you can can see that as a, a perception, not just a perception, an understanding. Something that you would value, a priority where you would learn to tell yourself, learn to tell yourself, my soul magnifies the Lord. I'm going to choose to declare His greatness. Well, what if you're suffering? What if you're in hardship? What if the prognosis from the physician doesn't look good? You still do the same thing, because you're not bait, your your relationship with God is built on His promises and not your performance and not our perception. It's so important. It's a simple thing, really. We we get it, but yet learning to apply it and remind ourselves, you know, I, I think there's an element of just. Remind you, I want to. I want to declare His greatness, because there's times that I don't want to. Are, are Could you? Guys, is it okay if I'm honest with you? I just think it's awkward when I lie, especially from the pulpit. So I just choose not to do that. There's times I don't want to magnify the Lord. There's times that I'm working through problems and in, in, in realities that that are not. I don't think they're great. I think they're painful. But I have to be honest. Like you know what? It, this too will pass. This could intensify, or this could be revealed or or cleared up. I don't know which way it's going to go. But I'm still me, and he's still him. And he's not done with me yet. So I'm going to have to, I get to choose, because it's truth. I'm just going to magnify, I'm going to declare his greatness. Notice it goes on to say in verse 47, And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. My spirit has rejoiced. It's it's, it's past tense, but it's also, you could maybe see it as present tense continuous. Her spirit has rejoiced in God and will continue to rejoice in God. Even before he did this great thing, Mary rejoiced in God. But notice also, in God my Savior. Because we see the reality of humility and the truth of her relationship with God. She knew she needed a Savior. She wasn't going to live after this birth of the Christ child. She wouldn't live a sinless life as some organizations present. And try to proclaim that she just never had any problems in life. And that's why we would venerate her or elevate her. It's just not true. She knew she needed a savior. That's why she says, he's, I, I, I rejoice in God my savior. Verse 48. For behold... Or I'm saying, verse 48, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. And she recognizes that people will call me blessed because she knew that logically, truthfully, because she was the one that many longed to be. But notice she calls herself a maidservant. If you have a, maybe a, a ASV, a King James version, I think, is one that uses the, the word handmaiden. So she said, I am, I'm a maidservant, I'm a handmaiden of the Lord. And it literally just speaks of a female slave. Voluntary or involuntary. That's the position. And that's how she described herself. Don't you think that there was just, even for a moment, even though it's a short time from the time of the visit of the angel to to where she's out here visiting her relative, but there's a few weeks involved? Is there a possibility that human ego could have been elevated just a bit? Is it possible that Mary, like... Uh uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm the one. I'm the one. Now, she may not, she might fight that off, but that thought's going to be there. She was the one that so many longed to be. She's the one. But it was somewhat involuntary, agreed. She didn't fill out the forms ahead of time. She didn't put in a lottery ticket to be drawn. What she did was develop a relationship with the living God. And for God, in God's wisdom and for his reasoning, he selected this woman through no accolades or accomplishment of herself. He chose her to be the, the vessel, the instrument by which the, the Christ child would come into the world. I think that's amazing. And I think it's important to remind ourselves, we're we're called to be servants. I've been chewing on something, I'll share it. I'm still chewing on it, so it's not fully digested, but. There's something that's happened in the last, I, I probably could expand it to maybe to 60 to 100 years, in the body of Christ, in the, in the church. I believe it's a shift that we're not noticing, but now we're starting to see the result of it. And what, what I believe it is, if I could summarize it, is that the church in its practices and gatherings and planning has actually trained believers, if you would, how to be served, and not how to be servants. Do you see the difference? That's why many of you could validate, because I know a lot of you, you, you'll be here in Mountain Home, and you're going to continue on your journey with the military influence, and some of you have come and go. You've traveled a lot more than I have, especially in gathering and congregations. So you know that when you get various places, there's always this need for someone to help and to serve. There's always this request, always this petition. And, And I can't help but think it's a part of a, you know, just a shift that's related to valuing organizational things versus spiritual things. But do you see the difference? Jesus said, I haven't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Mary, we see, she's a servant. She's one who's saying, you know what? I'm the maid servant. I'm a handmaiden of the Lord. And I want you to just consider that and process that because it's important for us. Most of the time when we get off course, we didn't notice we were going off course. Agreed? If you did, you wouldn't have done it. I went off the road years ago, coming out of Montana, coming back into Idaho, and I just was too tired to be driving, but I'm a male. I don't admit those things, so I just kept driving. And when I woke up, tires were off the right side. Now, why didn't I keep them from going there? Because I wasn't paying attention. I was dozing. I was going off the road. And, of course, I'll not even get into the details, just say I didn't wreck, but you see the point. We want to be aware. Are we, are we willing to be led by the Lord and be servants and learn to serve? Or do we subconsciously, inadvertently, not noticing, I, I just want things that work for me. I want the type of music. I want the type of children's ministry. I want the type of teaching. I want the facility. All those are important things. Can we agree? They really are important. But they can't be the main thing because now we're looking for something that works for me. I'm learning to be served as opposed to learning to serve. We have here a maidservant of the Lord. She's seen herself as that way. Continuing in verse 49, He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. It parallels what I've already mentioned, but we'll just look at it in a different wording. He who is mighty has done great things for me. Do you realize this in your life? Can you reflect and look back and say, he who is mighty has done great things. I know this. Let me just check. I know. You have the capacity to forget things. Another one of them, Deep Thoughts by Dan. You may not remember a few things, agreed, But get this. You will remember what's important to you. And I know that sounds humanistic and mind-controlled. It's just a fact. I fish with some guys, and I hear this fish story. I've heard it for 30 years. It's the same story. I'm tired of hearing it. Oh, how they caught a bigger fish and more fish than I did. And it's not because, maybe it is. I just don't like it. My feelings hurt. But no, seriously. It's simply because it's important to them. And it was a great time for them. It wasn't the competition so much as the overall day, for some reason, stood out more to them. So they'll just keep bringing it forward. And they convey it. And I'm like, wow. Simple, a simple analogy or picture. But can we agree? You forgot things from last week. But you can choose the things you're going to hold on to. I, look, I say it this way. Cherish your memories. Choose love. And that which we elevate, that which we we, we, we reflect on and we hold on to. And here's what I believe. I'm going to forget a few things. I could actually prove it. Even in the last week and month and even more. I'm going to forget a few things. But I can choose the things I want to remember. I can't choose the things I want to forget. Agreed? Because in order to know if you forgot them, you have to remember them. And if you remember them, you didn't forget them. It's not complicated. So it's like, okay, I can choose to remember things, though, by elevating them. And I I see this with Mary because, you know, he has done, he was mighty, has done great things for me. You see the timeline, right? She hasn't given birth. She hasn't coddled him and nurtured him and nursed him and and taken care of him yet. But she's looking, he has done great things. Even before great things took place, she knew he has done great things. And I want to encourage you, go through your journey with Jesus and look back and decide and and cherish those memories. And and if not for posting and putting on social media, please understand it intimately and privately and leave it alone publicly. That's my own little social media. i got a little issue with social media, you might be able to, to tell. But nonetheless, do you see why I say that? So many people are quick to express to someone else but not experience in a depth to themselves it's much better to hold it and develop and let it, it may be verbalized later, but Psalm 4610 tells us to to be still and know that he is God. Yes, it's a physical calmness, but it's more of a relational uh, priority to be still and realize and know that he is God. Mary is young and poor. She's not of noble birth. She's not of high position culturally. She's faced many hard times already. She'll face many more. Yet she rejoices. She recognizes God's faithfulness and closeness. At a time when, when you know, it's so contrary. Mary had received the word, yet rejected religion. What do I mean? Well, to a Jew in that time, and even to a degree today, for those who don't believe in the, in the Messiah or in Jesus, Jews did not believe that, An individual, a commoner, uh, you know, one of the middle and lower class, they didn't believe that they could have a close relationship with God. I mean, yeah, a select few leaders had a season like Moses or Abraham or Isaiah. They had their moments, but not the lower echelon of society. Jewish leaders at that time misapplied and manipulated God's word in order to rule over the people. Sound familiar? Not uncommon even today. Mary speaks of a close personal relationship with God. He has done great things for me. I want to encourage you. That's what you seek. You're not looking for attendance buttons and gold stars, and you're not looking for performance stuff. Your cry of your soul The deep, deep cry of your heart and my heart is to have a close, deep, intimate, personal relationship with the living God. And Jesus has opened the door for that to take place. Now, I'm not going to continue in this particular study in regards to this chapter. I will just say verses 51 to 55, which we read, reveal Mary's knowledge of the word of God. So she's quoting and actually carrying forth historical truths that came from what we call the Old Testament, things that she grew up, and she not just memorized them to keep mom and dad happy, but she realized them and and valued them. And these verses reveal that she's seen the goodness of God even when there was evil all around. Because she's seen historically what Israel had went through and seen the faithfulness of God, and that's what she's really referencing and quoting. But let's carry on in her life just a little bit. Let's go over to chapter 2. Now here, some time has passed from what we read about here in chapter 1. And now here in chapter 2, we have the birth of Jesus. You know, the shepherds are out in the field. You know the story. You probably read it at Christmas and other times too. So here the, the shepherds are out and the angels appear. The shepherds freak out, of course, understandably. But then they go to see what the angel said, if it's true. And they, they get into to, um, to, to Bethlehem there. And then they, as they get arrive in Bethlehem, they find this, what was said, to be true. And as they go into to Bethlehem and they see that this thing has come to pass... And they, they tell Mary and Joseph what had happened and what had taken place. And, and, and they're like, man, the angels came and the, this happened. And, and Mary has just delivered a child. And here she's got him, as we say, wrapped in swaddling cloths and placed him in a manger, which is a feed trough. But notice in verse 19. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary kept all these things. In other words, she's listening, she's processing, but she's pondering. Pondering, pondering is where you're you're soaking it in, and sorting it out. And you haven't ha- you don't have anything definitive, but you know it just something happened. It's real. You know what I mean? You you ponder certain things. Anyone who's had to, you know change vocation you're gonna have to provide for your family so you need to do something different so you ponder the reality of what you need to do but you weigh out also you bring in this opportunity and this possibility and and you kind of mull them over and chew on them so she didn't have perfect insight into what happened and it's going to happen in her life she she knew she just delivered a child she probably was a little afraid of what's going to take place i mean i know that she actually was we'll see another example here in a bit You know, how am I going to provide for this child? How am I going to, how are we going to do this, Joseph? What are we going to do? She's pondering all these things in her heart. So beautiful because you see, I think that's what really strengthened her relationship with the living God is that she worked through her own reality. We worked through what she had to sort out. Let's continue on by jumping over to chapter 2, verse, uh, we'll look at verse 48, but let me present to you the context. It's out of verses 41 to 50. And what we have here is Jesus is like 12 years old, and the family had came from to Jerusalem to, you know, to go to the, the feast and the, and the uh, festival. And so as they're, they're meeting this requirement of a Jewish young man, they're now traveling back, and they kind of traveled in a group. You know the story, right? Mary loses God. She loses Jesus. It's like, where is he? He wasn't like that, you know, rebel kid that's always looking for a chance to run. Or, you know, you can be confident. He was very um, compliant. He very much, a, 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 you know, kind of the dream child. Wouldn't we, wouldn't we say that? I'm pretty sure of that. And yet you lose him. They look around like, where's Jesus? I don't know. I thought you had him. Well, maybe he's with his uncle. Wouldn't they go over to that group? No. So now they have to go back to find Jesus. Who I just I don't know why it humors me so much. But here you deliver the this child, you raise him to the age of twelve, you're encouraged by his engagement, his support, his wisdom, and you lose him. (laughs) It's like, oh no, now what do we do? Well, look in verse forty-eight. So when they saw, speaking they as Joseph and Mary, when they saw Jesus, they were amazed, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. Can we put that in contemporary terms and street language? I don't know his middle name, but I'm sure it would have been used if he had one. Jesus, Messiah, get your, you get right from here. Come here. Do you have any clue what you've done to me and, your, and Joseph? Do you have an idea? I thought you got ran over by a camel. Where have you been? Give me a break. You can just surely think, oh man, what if he, what's going on? What were you thinking? Mary was conflicted between fear and faith. She was conflicted between fear and faith. This is Mary who's raising this beautiful son, 12 years old. And, and she's like, ah, can you relate to that? You will have conflict. You, you're, you're, what you think is going to happen isn't that. And, 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 and who knows what it was. But I, I do like Jesus' answer, why did you seek me? Do you not know that I must be about my father's business? It wasn't a dig to Joseph. He just reminded him, this is what, this is what I would be doing. Because he was in the temple. He was with the people. Let's look in verse 50. But they did not understand the statement which Jesus spoke to them. They did not understand. And I think for some of us, all of us, there are times you will not understand. It will not make sense. It will not add up. Her perception concerning God's will conflicted with God's perfect will. You know, the perceived will collided with the perfect will. And you know what happens? Perfect will will always reign true, even when we don't understand, because we don't understand it. we can't reject it. We just have to realize, I don't understand. I don't understand the grief. I don't understand the loss. I don't understand the pain. I don't understand why it's this way, God. And, and he, 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 it's like he's almost like this. He's like, "I know. I know. Well, why don't you tell me <laughs> it, You you won't understand. Can we accept that I have a hard that 's one of my hardest things i don't understand why this has happened and why this family's going through this, and oh lord i don't understand. Can you explain it to me no Danny, i can't i can't you're not ready yet, and you know what? Some of the things that you and I ask may never be answered. Can you accept that? They may never be answered because In God's wisdom and love and mercy and kindness and compassion, he knows the answer will not resolve anything. The question reveals more. God, you owe me an explanation. I understand why you would present that to me, he would say. I I get it, but listen, you're going to need to trust me on this one. You're going to need to trust me on this one. It's really hard. It's easy to say that to someone, but you any of you who are going through really, really hard times, you know how hard that is to, to, to process. But here's a verse for you. The mother of our Lord, who will see him horribly, brutally crucified, beaten, and put on a cross, she will see that. And in this moment here, early on, she doesn't understand. Do you think she understands that later? Oh, she might be able to work through some theology out of Isaiah and the suffering Savior, but she's not going to work it out relationally very easy. That is her son. And she's clearly going to say, I I don't understand. I don't don't know why it is this way. When When I don't understand what's happening, I want to make sure I understand who he is. And there's one... Reconciling verse there's one verse that always brings me back to center for God so loved the world that he gave his only one only begotten son he literally that's the the pinnacle that's the expression the highest revelation the action of love is him coming and dying for my sins I know he's loving I know his ways are perfect I do not understand it's okay Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. I'm not talking about blind faith that just says whatever. I'm talking about real. Like Mary had a relationship with the living God, and she did not understand. Let's let's roll through over to Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, interesting things have happened. From a 12-year-old boy to a 33-ish-year-old man, she's seen a lot of things. She's requested things of him. She sent his brother and sister, his siblings, to him. And she went too, I believe, personally, to help him and basically rescue him because he was doing so much. He was so committed to the will of the Father that he, they said of him, he's outside of his mind. He's lost it. Did you, get, you ever thought of that picture? So focused, just like, take the cap off, set the mind over here, keep doing what you're doing. That's really what they thought. He's just so obsessed with this. They went to get him to fix him. Because the brothers and the mother and the sisters, at this point before the cross, they didn't understand he was the Messiah. They didn't really get it. And it was after the resurrection, I mean, they've seen the brutality of the crucifixion but it was after he was put in the tomb and and they were, they were they were a wreck they were they were at a loss not only the brothers and family but the the disciples but then he rises from the dead he appears to them at multiple times he reaff- he he reminds them he reveals them he he brings them to this reality he has risen he is alive and then he ascends into heaven they they seen with their eyes the physical bodily ascension of the Savior into heaven, proven that he conquered death and hell. And then he, before he rose to the heaven, he said, listen, go to Jerusalem and wait till you're endued, you're given the power from the Father to be my witnesses. So look what happens in verse 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. They continued in prayer and supplication. In unity gathered together. That's our reminder. As we face various challenges. And, and concern about family members and friends. And close ones. That, that, that just they don't understand biblical truth. Or, or they're not even born again. Or they're trying to work through what has been brought to, to them. And, and, and we're realizing. Man I don't know how to live in this world realize this, the early church continued in prayer in one accord. They literally continued to gather together. They had differences of personalities. They had differences of maturity. They had different spots, strata, in the strata of socioeconomic reality. You know, some had more money, some were stone broke. They gathered together in unity in prayer, believing that God, who began a good work, would be faithful to complete it. Isn't, can we agree that's a great need in our, our in our community, in the church? That we would learn to understand what are the essentials and, and not get so wound up on the secondary things. Continued in prayer and supplication as they gathered together. Mary went through a lot of challenges, a lot of stress. I believe probably the greatest suffering of any person apart from Jesus. Just seen, I know some moms who went through some terrible things uh, loss of adult children, loss of young children. Um, there's, a, there's a beautiful bond between a mother and a child, and no one will ever know that except the mother. The child might, but probably not, until that child, if the woman has a child. Do you see what I'm saying? Here's a woman who, why is she specifically mentioned in Acts one fourteen? Because she continued through these life challenges and realities, because God was the same God Then, as he was before she even conceived, he was the same God. Why don't we stand up together? We'll have the worship team come up and uh, lead us in a song of worship together, God. As we would process all this information, so to speak, and think through. I know Lord you've spoke to each one of us a particular word of comfort or encouragement or something to ponder or you've even brought to some of us things we don't understand but I do pray for a greater measure of faith where that's needed I do pray for a softness of heart where we have our hearts have become hardened we didn't plan on having a hard heart we didn't plan on becoming um just stubborn or whatever it may be. But Lord, I pray that you would pour out your your living water to soften hearts, that you would bring the knowledge of your love in such a way that our stubbornness would also be relieved. That you, God, would do a great work among us as your people. You know our needs individually. You know us perfectly. And so I pray, Lord, a sweet work that we would have not just the knowledge of salvation which comes through you, Jesus, when we believe in you, put our faith in you for forgiveness and new life, say we're born again. We also believe you'll continue to nurture and teach us as your children. May you do that in a powerful way in this season of our lives, Lord God, for your glory and for our joy. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen.